Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our, Our teaching team, team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to, to expand, expand in faith, faith hope, and love. hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because, because they, they anchor us in something, something which can, can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere we exist to join god's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere we hope you enjoy this week's teaching we hope you enjoy this week's teaching we hope you enjoy this week's teaching our second reading this morning is from john 9 verses 1 to 34. as he walked along he saw a man blind from birth His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which, meant, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am he. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received this sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, 
What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to the one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and you are trying to teach us? And they drove him out. The word of the Lord. And that's all we're going to have time for this morning, so good. No, just kidding. Kidding. Uh, again, good morning to you all. Thank you all for being here. Uh, those of you that are here, those of you that are joining us at home, thank you for being a part of this community as well. You are very much valued, and we appreciate your presence, and we're glad that we have the technology and the ability for you to join us as well. Uh, my name is Dan Cook. I'm the teaching pastor here at Genesis. For those of you who are new or just joining us for the first time, uh, and we're, it is always a privilege for me to be up here and to be able to share God's Word with you all. So thank you very much for being here. This is the fourth Sunday in Lent. We are entering into the fourth week of Lent, which is a period of time, as we talk about in the church calendar, for turning away from sin or returning or repenting towards God's trajectory for our lives. And you may not have noticed, but on your liturgy on the very front page at the top, there's always a description of the church calendar season that we are in. Uh, it's easy to glance right past that and get to that first song or get to the doxology, right? But it's always there. And one of the things I appreciate about the description that's in there of Lent is that it accurately describes this process of returning or repenting or turning back to God as a quote-unquote long journey. Because that is what it is. It's a long journey. It's, there's no three-step process. There's no five-step process. We're not selling books. We're all in different places in our journey. That's why you can't have a simple process. As individuals, we're in different places. As a community, we're in a different place than maybe Elam or another church community would be. And because we're in different places, God seeks to meet us where we're at. And therefore, again, it can't be a simple three-step process to return to Him. Psalm 23, the reason we included that today, describes this process of God guiding us, describes this process of God meeting us, providing us that which we need to, uh, to achieve that journey, to get through that journey. That com those comforting words that we turn back to over and over and over again, it's why Psalm 23 is one of the most well-known psalms. Because God is always with us, God is always guiding us, God is always trying to help us return to Him. And that's this theme that we walk into in Lent. And it's why I think this theme of seeking that our theme this year is so important or so appropriate. Because we're all in different places, we're all seeking different things, different ways to return, to turn back to God. Some of us are seeking ways to battle specific sins, be it greed, be it injustice, be it arrogance, whatever sin it is that we're fighting. Some of us are looking for ways or help to fight that sin. Others of us are seeking ways to repent of or to heal from damaging church teaching that we've had in the past. Providing that kind of safe space is hugely important here at Genesis and something we make a point of. 
And some of us are just finding or trying to find ways to reconnect with God altogether. We find it hard to hear His voice, to sense God's presence, to feel her embrace. And so we're seeking ways and we're seeking help just to connect with God on a very basic level. Wherever we're at in our journeys, individually, corporately, we're all seeking something. And I think part of the, I think an important part of the process of seeking is asking good questions. And I struggle with using that word good there. Because to say that there are good questions implies that there are bad questions. And I'm not sure there really are bad questions. But there are questions that are better and more productive than others, I believe. So let's say that that's part of the process of seeking is asking those better and more productive questions and being more intentional about seeking those responses out. Which leads us to today's text in John 9, 1 through 34. Because there's a lot of questions in this text. And many of them, many of them could be better. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The actual lectionary lection, John 9, actually goes 1 through 41. But I shortened it for today because I'm not even sure we're going to get through 34. And I like Bree and I don't want to burn her out on reading scripture. So we shortened it up to just the 34 verses. But within those 34 verses are several different scenes. I've broken this kind of into two chunks. You could break it down even further if you wanted to. But I want to start with verses 1 through 7. Because what's interesting about, verses, what's interesting about this chapter, actually, this is one of the seven signs that John writes about in his gospel, this healing of the blind man. But the actual miracle, sign is just a word that John intersperses with miracle. It means basically the same thing. But the miracle itself occupies just a few verses. Of the 34 or 41 in the chapter, it's just a few verses that are actually the miracle itself. Everything else is the reaction to the miracle. And I think that's very purposeful because I think what that tells us is that God is less concerned that we understand the mechanics of the miracle itself and we better understand how to react to that miracle. And I think that's actually a way that we can look at the Bible as a whole. The Bible really is God's story of moving and being in creation and how God interacts with His creation. But I think what God wants us to mostly understand is the best, most life-giving way to respond to how God acts in creation. And I think we see, unfortunately, a lot of negative object examples of here's what not to do. And I think we see a few of those today as well. But you can learn from those mistakes just as easily as you can learn from positive examples, sometimes even better. So in this first seven verses, we have the apostles and Jesus coming upon a man who was blind from birth. It's an interesting detail. Generally, if we walk up on somebody that has some form of disability or is differently abled, we don't know the story, right? Somehow they knew this, that this man has been blind from birth. So maybe they had met him before. Maybe they had run into somebody that explained who he was. We don't know, but they know that he has been blind from birth. That's an important detail. And their first reaction is to turn it into a lesson. Is to say, teacher, who sinned? Was it his parents that sinned or did he sin? Why, why is this man afflicted, afflicted with blindness? Who sinned? And that reaction is based on an assumption. That assumption is that any affliction, any illness, any disability is a punishment from God. That one equals the other. And that's an assumption that goes way, way back in history. In fact, all the way back to the book of Job and probably beyond. 
But the book of Job is one of the earliest writings we have in the Hebrew Bible, and it's absolutely the center of that story. If you remember that story, we have a man named Job who's the center of that story. And he's rightly related to God. He has a righteous relationship to God, and God has poured many blessings onto Job. But then this character called the accuser comes along. And the accuser claims that the only reason that Job is so loyal to God, is so rightly related to God, is because God keeps blessing him. That if bad things happen to Job, Job wouldn't be as loyal to God as he seems to be. And so this accuser befalls all of these calamities on Job. His property is destroyed, his livestock are scattered, his children are killed. And the accuser believes that once these things have happened to Job, Job will turn against God. Just you watch. And while Job bemoans his fate, says, this is not fair, what did I do? Why why, why is this happening to me? He doesn't turn against God, even though his wife tries to get him to. And he's got these wonderful friends that come along, these wonderful friends that show up and say, Job, you must have done something wrong because we all know these bad things wouldn't have happened to you unless somehow you had sinned. We know it. In chapter 4, one of his friends says this, Think now. Who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. When you do bad things, bad things happen to you. Something bad has happened to you, Job. Ergo, you must have done something bad. Purely logical. Another friend comes along in chapter 8 and says, Does God pervert justice? Or does the Almighty pervert the right? If your children sinned against Him, He delivered them into the power of their transgression. If you will seek God and make supplication to the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, surely then He will rouse Himself for you and restore you to your rightful place. Job, if you just would repent, if you would just admit whatever it is you did before God, God will forgive you and God will restore you. But as long as you insist that this isn't your fault, these bad things are going to keep happening. Come on, Job. These friends of Job... And the apostles in asking who sinned have rejected the idea that bad things can happen to good people. Why? Why would you do that? It's all the evidence to the contrary. Control. Because it gives us a measure of control. If bad things only happen when we make bad behavioral mistakes, then we can limit the bad things that happen to us by making good behavioral choices. It gives us control. But if bad things happen regardless of our behavior, oh my, there's no control at all. And that scares scares us something fierce. Now on the surface, that may sound like a ridiculous idea. We know, the readers of Job, that it wasn't God causing the bad things that happened to Job because Job had sinned. There was this accuser character coming and stirring up trouble. We know, as the readers, that this parent's This man's parents didn't sin to cause the blindness, and it wasn't his sin that caused the blindness. Jesus says flat out, no, that's not what happened. We know this. So we sit there and think, these silly characters, what are they thinking? And yet, and yet, we ask very similar questions all the time. Think about it. If you hear somebody has lung cancer, what's the first question that comes to mind? Did they smoke? Hmm? Because we know that smoking increases your chances of having lung cancer, right? So if they smoked, well, then that's why they got lung cancer. I can feel safe. I don't smoke, right? That's not how it works. We know that's not how it works, and yet that's where our minds go. If we hear somebody has heart disease, either passed away from it or has it, well, what was their diet like? What kind of medication were they on? Were they taking it regularly? 
Is there a family history? We search for all of these diagnoses. We search for all of these factors that somehow give us this illusion that we can somehow control this. And it's not bad to wonder if there were mitigating factors, right? We can learn from that. We do know that there are things we can do that influence our chances of getting sick, of getting cancer, of getting heart disease, of getting any illness. Trouble comes when we default to that, when that's the first thing that we think of. And it's a problem for two reasons. It's a problem because, first and foremost, we aren't recognizing the, the humanity of the person that's afflicted, right? This is a human being dealing with an illness. And the first thing we're trying to figure out is what they did to cause it. Really? Mm. Right? It's a human being with an illness, or in the case of this blind man, this is a human being that's differently abled. And that's kind of a clunky phrase, but it's an important one. Because, again, this man was blind from birth, right? And we know... We know now that when somebody loses one of their senses, the other one's sort of heightened. So this guy could have been walking around smelling better than other people and hearing better than other people and having all kinds of advantages. And yet because everybody knew that he was blind, he was treated as less than and became a beggar. Helen Keller said that, I thank God for my handicaps, for through them I have found myself, I have found my work, and I have found my God. Recognizing their humanity, that needs to be the default. That needs to be our intention. That needs to be our posture. Which leads to the second issue, which is rushing to diagnose instead of leading with that empathy. One of the things I've learned in life, and this was a life lesson before it was a seminary lesson, but seminary absolutely backed it up, is that when people come to us with problems, I'll just use myself as an example, when somebody comes to me with a problem, most of the time they are not looking for me to fix it boggles my poor little Enneagram 5 brain. Because I see a problem, let's figure out a list of solutions and let's reduce that list through logic and reason and then trial and error and then figure out what the best solution is, fix the problem, we can all move on with our lives. I don't understand why the rest of you don't think that way, I really don't. (laughs) But I recognize that you don't. I recognize through life and through learning that when people come to you with problems, what they're really looking for more than anything else is affirmation and empathy. They're looking for somebody else to say, yeah, yeah, this is horrible. Job, all this stuff going on in your life, this is terrible. I'm sorry you're having to go through this. The gentleman who's blind and having to be a beggar, that's not right. I'm sorry people have treated you that way. Let's treat you better. That's what they're looking for. Most people are really, really smart and can figure out solutions on their own. They don't need me coming along with, here's my list of fixes. Let's try, let's rank, let's, no. That's not what they want. They just don't want to feel alone in whatever it is that they're going through. When we focus first on diagnosing what's going on, on fixing the problem, it comes off like we don't care at all about their feelings. We just want to get this problem out of the way. They're a human being. Recognizing their humanity, that needs to be our default. That needs to be what we look for first. So as we journey in our seeking, leading with the diagnosing questions that come up out of fear, out of a fear of lack of control, those questions don't really satisfy anybody. But if we're intentional about leading, intentional about leading with empathy... Instead of asking who sinned or what did you do wrong, Job, or did you smoke if you got lung cancer? Instead of leading with those, leading with empathy, what can I do to help? I'm sorry this is happening to you. That's what gets us closer to God. That's what helps us find God's trajectory for our lives as we seek. And that leads us to the second portion, which is basically verse 8 on, which is the reaction, is the primary reaction to this miracle. This man who could not see can now see. And how do they react? 
Well, there's some version of the question, how did this happen, that gets asked over and over and over and over again. Verse 10, how are your eyes opened? Verse 16, how can a man who's a sinner perform such signs? Verse 19, how does he see? Verse 26, how did he open your eyes? It's the same question again and again and again. Why? Why do they keep asking the same question? Because they're not getting the answer they want to get. They don't get it directly from the blind man, so they call in his parents. They don't get it from his parents, so they call the blind man back in. They don't get it again. It's a very frustrating experience for these poor Pharisees. They're not getting the the answer to the question that they want. Why? Because they're not asking the question looking for a guide. Here's how Jesus healed this man. The guy has explained what happened multiple times. I don't know. The guy made some mud with some spits, put it on my eyes, told me to go to wash in a pool. I can see. I don't know how else it happened. It just happened. That's not what they're looking for. They don't want the play-by-play. They're looking for confirmation of their belief that Jesus is a bad person, is, is evil, is coming at this in the wrong way, is violating the law. They've already decided that's who Jesus is. And they're looking for this miracle, this sign, to somehow point them to their already established belief that Jesus is a bad dude and not worth following. It's called confirmation bias. The dictionary definition says, the tendency to interpret new evidence as confirmation of one's existing beliefs or theories. They've already made up their minds about who Jesus is, and they can't have this thing, this miracle, this sign contradicting that, so somehow it's got to point to that, and they keep pestering these people to tell them what's going on so they can figure out how this points to what they've already decided. It's a product of ego. It's a product of a need for certainty. It's a product of a lack of of humility. When we are seeking, when we are trying to turn back towards God, when we're trying to discern what is of God and what isn't of God, we have to remain humble. Even, and perhaps most especially, when we think we've got a pretty good beat on things, when we think we've got it figured out, that's, that's the rig red flag to say, okay, well, wait a minute, do I really? Theological convictions are not bad things inherently but they become problematic when we start clinging to them too tightly. They become problematic when they're not core tenets of the faith. The bullying reaction on the part of the Pharisees here happened because they were operating from what we like to call a bounded set theological approach. We've talked about this before at Genesis. If you think of a big fence and all of our beliefs are inside that fence, and if you can't check off every single one of those boxes, guess what? You're outside the fence. Whereas here at Genesis, we like to follow what we call a, a center set theology. If we think of the core tenets of the things that we absolutely are at the very basis of Christianity, that we all can agree on, that fits in the core, in that center set. And everything else that's a dogma or a doctrine or an opinion sits outside of that center, we can be in discussion on. We can disagree on. For instance... Jesus died and rose to defeat death and wipe out sin. Yep, that's center set. We can all agree on that. But baptism is only for adult believers as opposed to infant baptism? That's something people disagree about. And if we have that center set core together and we're all hanging on to that, it's okay to be in discussion on the rest of those things. But when we push to have our biases confirmed instead of opening our hearts and minds to other uh, possibilities... We damage relationships, and that can't be of God. God is love. God is relationship. 
You can't say, I'm trying to be the best disciple of God that I can be while you're damaging relationships because you disagree about things that aren't core tenets. It's just not how it works. And you can also sense this, you can almost sense this man's frustration as he keeps trying to explain what's going on to these folks. And that's where I direct your attention to the artwork for today. If you look at today's artwork, what you'll see is a bunch of hands and fingers pointing at this man. And there are words in the background, if you get a chance to come up and look at it closely, who sinned is there and a bunch of other accusatory words trying to figure out how this happened. But his gaze is beyond those hands, is beyond those words. Imagine for a moment you've never been able to see and suddenly all the glory of God's creation is in front of your eyes. It would be overwhelming. And yet, this amazing healing has happened to this guy. All he wants to do is celebrate and take it all in and the religious leaders, the people who are supposed to guide him in experiencing all the glory of God are repeatedly trying to figure out how that healing is not of God. Imagine how frustrating that must be. When you hear his words in verse 27, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be his disciples? You almost hear the sarcasm in that last question, right? As our kids come back. Hi, kids. Just a few more minutes and then it'll be Jesus snack time, I promise. So you can hear his frustration. You can sense how maddening this must be for him. All he wants to do is celebrate this blessed event, and they won't even admit that it's a blessing. They're, like they're trying to convince him it's not. And again, you might see that and think, well, that doesn't happen. I don't do that. We don't do that. Yeah, we do. Uh, many of you were not with us when we were back at Sabus, but it was a service that we held back at Sabus. We were, we were helping another church get launched. And so some members of that church had showed up to talk about their church and what we were helping them with and all that stuff. And there was a young man that was with them that claimed that just weeks prior, he had been uh, restrained to a wheelchair and using crutches to get around. And here he was, he had been healed and he's walking around and as, as normal as anybody else. And oh man, did my skepticism kick in. Because how many times have we seen somebody do a miracle healing and then ask you for money right away? How many times have we seen somebody say, oh, if you're of God, you can be healed of anything. And if you haven't been healed, well, that's because you're just not praying hard enough. That bugs me more about anything there is with this faith. It drives me crazy. And so my skepticism, my cynicism kicked in. And it took all the way until I was preparing for this very sermon for God to tap me on the shoulder and say, Dan, I need you to do better than that. This guy wasn't asking anybody for money. This guy wasn't trying to convert anybody. This guy just wanted to celebrate the fact that he was stuck in a wheelchair and he can now walk. And I don't know how he got healed, but there's no reason for me to believe it was anything other than God. I needed to get past that skepticism. I needed to get past that cynicism. I need to be able to celebrate with this guy. That's, that's bringing us back to God's trajectory. That's bringing us back to where God wants to be. So Genesis, as we seek God, one of the most important things is to ask productive questions, to seek productive responses, leading with empathy instead of with diagnosis. Not who sinned, not did they smoke, not what did you do wrong, Job, but yeah, I'm sorry that happened. That's horrible. How can I help? Leading with empathy, not diagnosis. Leading with humility instead of insisting on confirmation bias, not 
This couldn't have happened. Not, I better hang on to my wallet. This guy's probably coming for some money. But celebrating the blessings, the everyday blessings that God bestows on us, each of us, and on other people. That's going to be, that needs to be our focus. That needs to be our intention. As we seek during Lent, as we seek to return to God's trajectory, as we seek to turn away from sin, these are the things. These kinds of intentional postures, these are what bring us closer to God and help us return to God's trajectory for our lives. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If If you you find find yourself nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you have have any any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.